Today's sermon text reading comes from the book of Ruth, chapter two, verses one through 13, and can be found on page seven of your bulletin. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. This is the word of the Lord. When every good story, there is a moment when the mood begins to turn. So before Ruth chapter two, which we just heard read, all seems to be lost, but starting this morning, the mood is about to change. Up to this point in this story, there has been very little by way of good news for Naomi and Ruth. Both of these women are widowed. They have left Moab to return to, Bo, uh, to Bethlehem. And it is not as though all of their problems are going to be fixed in the text this morning, but for the very first time in a long time, there is going to be some glimmers of hope, some redemption that is going to be cracking into this story. We see Ruth this morning. She is coming to the fields with nothing, just nothing spiritually. She has nothing financially, but even so, Boaz will take notice of her. Naomi and Ruth are, are broken women. They're desperate for help. They have nothing, and so they are going to turn to a man who has everything. And the good news is that for these women, Boaz will take notice. And in a much greater way, the good news for us as Christians is the good news is that Jesus, as we come to him with nothing, even though we are desperate, we have no 
finances, we have no money of ourselves, we come to Jesus and he notices us. But before we go farther and really begin to unpack that point, let's start by setting the stage. You need to remember that Naomi is originally from Bethlehem. She had left with her husband Elimelech a number of years before when a famine had struck Bethlehem. So at this point, Naomi has left to Moab. She is now back home. It has been a long time since Naomi has left her people, but as she comes back, there are still going to be a number of people that she is familiar with. And one of these people is a man named Boaz, who we just read is from the same family as her deceased husband, Elimelech. And so they likely would have known each other. You see, in verse 1, it describes Boaz as a worthy man. And that word worthy in Hebrew can have a fairly wide semantic range. So there's a number of possibilities that all kind of feed into how we can picture this worthy man, Boaz. The first meaning of the word worthy in Hebrew is that Boaz could have been a very impressive military hero. He's, he's really strong, and he's really brave, and he's really courageous. He's able to, to fight off enemies with his strength. Now, this is not a military story, and so we don't take that to be the primary meaning for what it means that Boaz was a worthy man, but it, it at least gives us a picture in our mind of what he could have been like. This word worthy also applies to business, that Boaz could have been a very worthy businessman, owner of lots of land and possessions. And that starts to make some more sense in this story because as we just read, Boaz has some fields, he has some workers, and so we can assume that Boaz was, yes, indeed, a very worthy businessman. It could also mean that Boaz was a worthy man of high moral character, that he was a good man. And perhaps that makes the most sense as the story of Ruth is going to unfold, we'll see that Boaz is, is very kind, he's very compassionate, he's very generous, he is a good, worthy man. Essentially, when you put all of those different things together, we see that Boaz is everything that you would ever want to be in a man. He is athletic, he is also wealthy, and combined with great character, this is truly an impressive man. You know, there's a lot of athletic guys, I hate to say it, Dumb as a rock. And then there's a lot of guys that are really smart and they cannot shoot a free throw. And then there's guys with high character and yet they can't get a job. But this guy, Boaz, he seems to have it all. I went to Brighton High School. It's, uh, it's about an hour from here out in the suburbs. And when I was a student at Brighton High School, the star of our football team was Drew Henson. Drew Henson was the number one football recruit in the entire country. So as a senior in high school, all the best coaches were coming to Brighton to recruit Drew. So he had Nick Saban and Lloyd Carr and Joe Paterno. I mean, sort of the who's who of coaches were coming to Brighton to recruit Drew. He was so good that as a senior in high school, he was actually on the cover of Sports Illustrated. It was just a very impressive young man. And it wasn't just that he was good at football. He was also the number one recruit in the country for baseball. So as a senior, he's 18 years old. He already has a quarterback or a scholarship to be the quarterback at the University of Michigan and also a contract in the millions from the New York Yankees. 
So this guy had it all. And then on top of that, he was also the number one recruit in the state for basketball. And then on top of that, he was also our valid Victorian. He had a perfect 4.0. And so this guy had it all. And you might say, well, John, what did you do at Brighton High School? And I, uh, I, I ran cross country. And so I was, I was never on the cover of Sports Illustrated, but my coach told me I ran with heart. And so I'll, I'll take that, take that, Drew. Uh, I run with heart. Uh, but this guy, Drew, he, he was very impressive. He was also just genuinely a really great guy. And my impression was that any young woman would have loved to have been noticed by Drew. He just was a guy that everyone wanted to be around. So imagine being a freshman girl. Drew's a senior. High school's a little bit overwhelming. You're, you're forgetting the combination on your locker, and you feel out of place. And then Drew Henson notices you. Oh, that would feel special as a freshman girl. Or imagine that you're a walk-on freshman on the football team. So you're a guy like me, you know, my freshman year, I probably haven't gone through puberty yet. I'm like 5'2". Drew's 6'5". He has facial hair. I have middle school muscles. And imagine a guy like Drew takes you under his wing. Oh, that would really mean something. Out of his abundance, taking notice of the lesser. That's something like Boaz here. When, when it says that he was worthy, it's, it's considering his, his physicality, it's his smarts, it's his wealth, it's his character. This guy has it all. And so as we are beginning to meet the character Boaz, we are presented with an immediate contrast. You have the abundance of Boaz and the desperation of Naomi and Ruth. It's a stark contrast. Boaz, he, he's, he's full in all the right ways. He's humble yet strong, he is rich, yet gentle. Out of the fullness of what Boaz has, he is now going to move towards Ruth, who is the opposite, who is quite desperate. But the contrast between Boaz and these two women goes even deeper. I mentioned in the very first sermon from Ruth that this famine that had just happened in Bethlehem was a sign of God's judgment. Remember, this whole story is taking place during the period of the judges. The repeated theme in Judges is that everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. Nobody is obeying God. Everyone is living for themselves. That's the context. God sends a famine to wake his people up. And now as Naomi and Ruth come back to Bethlehem, we see that the famine is over. The judgment has been lifted. And notice, what are the very first things that Boaz says? Look at verse 4. Boaz says, the Lord be with you. The response, the Lord bless you. And so Naomi and Ruth, they are coming from a place of spiritual poverty. They're desperate. They've been far from God. And yet, as soon as they come back and meet this man, Boaz, he is speaking the blessing of Aaron. This is the blessing that you see in Numbers chapter 6. It's the blessing that you often hear at the end of the service. You hear it today at the end of the service. That the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you. This is a blessing of God that God would give his grace to his people. And Boaz is sharing that blessing. What is being communicated here is that the famine in Bethlehem is over. God's judgment has been lifted. The fields are ripe for the harvest. And this man, Boaz, is helping usher in in age of spiritual renewal, he is rich, not just in his pocketbook, but he is rich in the Lord. 
So again, there's another contrast. Boaz coming from a place of spiritual riches compared to Naomi and Ruth coming from a place of spiritual desperation. And the gospel surprise here in the first half of Ruth 2 is that this rich in God man is going to begin to take notice of Ruth. If you were to read through the book of Deuteronomy, you would find in Deuteronomy chapter 24 that God's law says that if you are an owner of a field and you left some grain behind, you were not to go back and get the grain that you left behind, but rather you were to leave it in the field so that the sojourners, the fatherless, and the widows might come and eat. This was God's law, that that rich people are to leave some behind as a way of caring for the, the broader category of those that are poor and marginalized. We're not gonna spend a lot of time talking about this, but just it is something to think through as we live and minister here in the city of Detroit, that God's law required that our excess would be given to those that are struggling. And also remember that Ruth is a brand new believer. So she, she knows this law. Notice it is Ruth, it is not Naomi, it is Ruth that comes up with this idea that Ruth should go to the field. So this brand new believer is already taking action on God's word. So how it would work is you would go to the fields and there would be these workers and in one hand they would take a, a, you know, a big handful of grain and they would begin to you know, whack the grain and as they're whacking the grain, the grain would separate from the plant and then you would take home the grain. That's the job of the workers. But you can imagine as, as you're you know, whacking this, uh, these plants, the, the grain's flying everywhere. A bunch of the grain is going to end up on the ground. And this is what gleaning is. And so Ruth goes to the field as a gleaner, and she would be picking the grain off the ground. And again, this is all part of God's plan, God's law, as a way of providing for the poor. And it is Ruth that is trusting in God's provision, trusting in God's law, as a way of having her daily needs met. What we see from Ruth here is a wonderful example of what it means to live by faith, even if it is brand new faith. Think of all the problems that Ruth has. Ruth is a sojourner, she's a widow, she's poor. She's downcast. Ruth has no idea what the future holds for her. But even still, with her brand new faith, she takes God at his word. She does exactly what is commanded in Deuteronomy 24. She knows not how, but she just shows up to the field as a desperate woman, trusting that if she does what God says to do, that God will provide. And what happens God actually provides. The rest of the story of Ruth is God providing for her. It's an important lesson for us, especially those that are just plagued by overwhelming anxiety about all the problems we have in our future. I mean, Ruth has a number of things that could go absolutely wrong and would cause many of us to have complete mental breakdowns. But what does she do? She does not worry about the future. She does not think about all her problems. She does not obsess about how bad she has it. Rather, she simply takes God at her word and she does the next thing. What does God say? Go to the fields and gleans. That's what she does. And God answers, and what does she do the next day? 
the very next thing. It's a good word for those of us that are plagued with anxiety about the problems in our future. Do not obsess about the future. Simply do the very next thing that God would want you to do. And that is what we see Ruth doing. Stop worrying and just do what God would want you to do. That's also an important note. But that is not how we are going to spend most of our time. The main point from this first half of Ruth chapter 2 is that the worthy man Boaz begins to notice Ruth. We see that Ruth, or Boaz, has heard the story of Ruth, this story about this Moabite woman that's sticking with her mother-in-law and coming back to Bethlehem. That story has left an impression on him. And as a result, we see that Boaz would like to care for Ruth. And so here you have this worthy man taking notice of the humble woman. And what we see here is just a glorious picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a worthy man taking notice of the contrites. Ruth is very humble. She's very contrite. She does not come full in herself. She comes pleading, asking, seeking by faith, even small faith, for the Lord to provide. And guess what God actually does? It is a repeated theme throughout the Bible that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so here you have humble Ruth coming to the fields asking, and God does not oppose those that are humble. God opposes the proud. If Ruth was confident in herself, and if she came demanding, and if she came seeking and saying, God, be impressed with me, then God would absolutely oppose her. If you want To make God angry at you, the number one thing you need to do is approach God confident in yourself as a proud man, as a proud woman. God is not impressed with the proud, but is angry at the proud. But what we see here is Ruth in humility, coming and trusting. We learn from Jesus that it is the meek that shall inherit the earth. Ruth, she has no money. She has no resume, she has no prestige, she is not at home, she is a stranger and she is a foreigner, and yet in humility, she takes God at his word and she shows up to the fields, trusting that God will provide. And the good news is that God actually does provide for her, that God takes notice of the contrites. Again, it's just a a foreshadowing of the greater gospel news to come, that Jesus is the better Boaz, but Boaz has given us a picture of what Jesus is like, but when you actually get to Jesus, you see that the gospel centers on Jesus, Jesus who is abundant in himself, the Jesus who is of the exact same substance as the Father, Jesus who is the same usia, Jesus who is without beginning, without end, Jesus rich in heaven, Jesus without need, Jesus overflowing in love, Jesus eternal in age, eternal in wisdom. And the good news is that Jesus is like the better Boaz and that he takes notice of those that are humble and contrite and actually takes them underneath his wing and redeems What is so clearly happening here in the first half of Ruth 2 is that Boaz is being depicted as a type of Christ, 
Not the real Christ, but a type of Christ, a picture, a foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to be like, a hint of the man who is to, to come and redeem his people in the deepest and best way. So three clues, three ways that I'd build my case for how we could see Boaz as a type of Christ. Number one, first look with me at verse four. Verse four begins with the word behold. In Hebrew, the word that is used there is hina. And so this is what we would call a hina clause. It's an important clause. It's a word that is worth noticing. A hina clause marks an important transition that is about to happen. If you have been around, at least for a few months, you might remember that on Easter Sunday, we finished a two-year sermon series going through the gospel according to John. And at the very beginning of that sermon series, back before we even had this building, back when we were at the Garden Theater, we started John with the prologue. We spent a few weeks there. And then there was a very important transition in verse 17 of John chapter 1 that transitioned from the prologue into the real-life action of the gospel account. And that transition started when John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the transition for us to get into the real-life action of who Jesus is began with the word, Behold. Now, the New Testament is written in Greek. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And we are reading it in English, but it is all the same word, behold, that same marker that is used in John chapter 1 to transition us to see who Jesus is, is being used here to transition us to seeing who Boaz is. And notice, where is Boaz from? He's from Bethlehem. Who else is from Bethlehem? Jesus, of course, was born into a lowly manger in Bethlehem. So you have the same word marking out the same city to get us to identify this abundant man. Yes, Boaz is very similar to Christ. Number two, we see that Boaz is a sign of religious renewal in the land. I mentioned this already, but in verse four, we see that Boaz is speaking the blessing of God. So this very dry very famined land. There is now religious renewal that is present. The very first sign of good news in the book of Ruth is with the appearing of Boaz. Again, it's not just that Boaz has some money, but that the abundance of Boaz represents his fullness in God, that at his appearing, there is religious renewal, that Boaz is actually speaking the blessing of God. And so it is with the appearance of Jesus, that the world would be blessed by his word. Number three, how Jesus and Boaz are similar. We see the God's wings of protection. See that in verse 12. The image that is given is that like a baby bird that needs to find shelter under the wings of her father, so God takes his big wings and wraps us underneath to gently protect those that are vulnerable. It's a repeated theme throughout the Psalms. Think of Psalm 91.4, that God will cover us with his pinions. That just means God's feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. Now, I want to be clear here. In this story of Ruth, it is ultimately God who is doing the work of protecting her. 
It's always been about God. It's always been about God's providence that has been quietly at work in the shadows to keep Ruth in his love. But as the story unfolds, how do we see God keeping Ruth underneath his wing? She is kept in God underneath the wing of Boaz. It will be Boaz who opens his heart in his home. It will be Boaz who will marry and care for Ruth. It is, yes, God's work, but it is accomplished through Boaz. The wings of God through the wings of a man, a type of Christ. Now, Boaz is, is, is clearly not the Christ. He's just a man. But what we are beginning to see unfold here in chapter 2 is the foreshadowing of a greater Christ to come. You might say that this is the gospel according to Ruth. Look with me at, at, at verse 10. A wonderful verse. This is Ruth speaking. She falls on her face and she says to Boaz, Why have I found such favor in your eyes? What a, what a glorious and good response to grace. Boaz, why me? Boaz, you're rich. I'm poor. But Boaz, you are at home. This is your hometown. You have houses. You have fields. Boaz, I'm from Moab. I'm a stranger. Boaz, when you speak, it's ushering religious renewal into the land. You're good at this thing called Christianity. I'm not. Boaz, everything that you are, I am not. We are complete opposites. Boaz, why? Why would you take notice of a struggling woman like me? Why have I found such favor in your eyes? And the answer is, of course, that's how grace works. This is the gospel. Out of the fullness of all that Boaz is, he is overflowing in grace and in love towards the lesser. Does Ruth bring anything that is going to add to Boaz? No. And that's the point. This is the economy of the gospel. The redemptive factor in this story is the merits of Boaz extended to Ruth. It is his grace. And in a similar way, but in a much better and deeper way, it is the merits of Jesus Christ given to us, his people, given to us that are low and broken and desperate. It is the merits of Jesus Christ that are freely given his merits that are unilaterally extended. It is his merits that are free and undistilled and sovereignly applied. It is his grace that is given to us as people. Let me just propose this to you. If you have never asked the question that Ruth is asking here in verse 10, if you have never asked the question to Jesus, Jesus, why me? Jesus, I, I, I'm, I'm not impressive. I'm pretty broken. I'm struggling. I have little faith. Jesus, I, why me? Why have I, a man or a woman like us, why have I found such favor in your eyes? 
Let me just propose that if you have never asked that question to Jesus, then you do not yet fully understand just how free the grace of Christ is. If you have never asked that question honestly, then you are still clinging to something in yourself that you believe is impressive, that somehow Jesus looks at you and sees at least one thing and says, yep, I like that, I'll take that person, but that is not the economy of the gospel. That is not what we see here. Boaz simply loves Ruth because he is loving. He's not getting anything out of this. He simply loves her. And so Christ simply loves us based on nothing that we have done. The gospel is free, unilaterally, sovereignly applied grace to us. The gospel is asking what Ruth will ask here. Why me? And the answer is, That's just who Jesus is. He's just gracious. What is being pictured here in the first half of Ruth 2 is a picture of the gospel of grace, a shadow of the Christ to come, a shadow of the man who is abundantly rich in himself, of a man who is not just like God and not just sent from God, but a shadow of the man who is actually God himself, The good news of the gospel is that Jesus will go much farther than Boaz. Jesus will not just marry his bride, but will actually die for his bride. And his resurrection is the proof of just how far his love has gone. Ruth has nothing in herself, but is noticed by Boaz. And so it is with the gospel of Christ. We have nothing in ourselves, but we are loved deeply in him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for this story. It's such a a beautiful story so meaningful on so many levels. It's a story about friendship and loyalty and rags to riches and redemption, and those are all wonderful things. But the best part is that it reminds us of your son Jesus and the way in which he loved us. So Father, we come to you this morning with nothing. We are very much like Naomi, very much like Ruth. We are broken with little faith and we are struggling, and yet we come to you desperate that you would meet us that you would minister to us, that like Boaz, that you would take notice of us and that you would give us all that we need. In Jesus' name, amen.